Remember, a person of faith takes God at his word and needs no other evidence that God is real, that God has promises, that he is true. But that's if you are a person of faith. That's where we want our, our faith to grow and to so deepen that when we read the word of God, we hear his word speak to us, we don't need any other evidence to back it up. We take the necessary steps that he's asking us to do and take those steps that pleases him, not ourselves. Because we live for him. We don't live for ourselves. We live for him. Remember the scripture says we are to die of self. What did John say? He says, I must decrease so he can what? Increase in our life. That takes faith. Because you, you and I are living in reality going, how am I going to pay the bill? And what's this relationship going to play out to be? And how's the work going to be? And how's the weather going to be? And how's the, where's my next meal going to be? And all these things are the cares of this world. But a person of faith knows what the promises of God are for his children. And so when you're a child of God, may your faith be deepened. How does that happen? Well, true biblical faith is a steadfast obedience to God's word regardless of your circumstance and regardless of, your, of the consequences. You may be in really bad circumstance right now. I, I, that's reality. That is real. But stop and think of what is the cause of that. And go to the word of God and say, God, how do you, how do you see this situation? What is it not based on feelings, not based on the circumstances or consequences, but Lord, what pleases you? Because I'm, your chi I'm a child of yours. Father, what do you want me to do next? This faith operates quite simply, as simple as can be, because children can understand this. God speaks, and we hear his word, and we're obedient. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. <laughs> so if you want your faith deep in this coming as we move into this end of this year and going into the next, will you take the time to be in his word and listen to his word so that your faith can be deepened so that you can take the necessary steps that are required by faith and not always leaning by your sight? That's all of us, is it not? Because we must trust his word and act on it no matter what the circumstances. No matter what the consequence may be. You trust God in the outcome and the direction and the steps to do what he's promised in your life. You can't control other people's lives. You can just only surrender your life to Christ. And be obedient to his word.
So today in chapter 11 here, and we pick back up in verse 4, we're going to see three men of faith that is going to be brought to light to us on the hall of faith here that God is using as examples to teach you and I how to live by faith even through some very difficult circumstances and situations in life. Three men. From the start of history, the dawn of faith is, is seen in the scripture here in Chapter 11, verse 4, the very first one is Abel. Cain and Abel. If I just say Abel, some people go, Abel? I say Cain and Abel, boom. Everyone seems to click on that one. But here God uses this very first person in the beginning of time. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. If you know the story, it comes out of Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Abel was a righteous man. We see that in the scripture, not only in Genesis, but also in Matthew 23, verse 35, as a reference that Abel was a righteous man because of faith in God. God had revealed to Adam, if you remember, Adam and Eve, Adam in the garden and his descendants, the true way of worshiping God. God communicated. It wasn't a secret. It wasn't somehow you have to figure this thing out in the garden and outside the garden. What God's expectations were. God always clearly communicates to his people his expectations. His promises. And consequences if you do not follow his way. He's never vague. So anytime you say, I don't know what God wants to do in my life, it's not a God problem, it's your problem. Because you're not in the Word. Because He wants to communicate to you. Are you I know that might have hurt a little bit for someone. So, <laughs> listen to me again. If you don't know what's the direction of your life and where to go, it's not because God hasn't clearly communicated to you what the next step He wants you to do. Typically what the problem is when I sit down with someone and talk through why they have a challenge in their life right now is because they want everything played out all the way to the very end of their life so that they have somehow control over what they do next. That is not living by faith, my brother and sister. That's living by sight. You have a faith problem. And the reason why you have a faith problem is not because of your spouse. Not because of your parents, not because of your kids, and not because of some stranger or the church. It's because you're not in the word of God and trusting what God's word says. That is the problem in your life. And that's simple. Get back in the word. <laughs> it's simple. Get back into hearing the word of God taught. Get back in and believing what God's word says, regardless of your circumstance and consequences from it. Well, here's a man. He has a brother named Cain. And Abel, again, was a descendant of Adam, and he was obedient to, even to the cost of his own life. 
But Cain, his brother, was a, not a child of God. He was in the same family, but he wasn't a righteous man. We see that even highlighted in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, because he did not have faith. He had a form of faith, a form of religiosity, but not of righteousness. There is a difference. But by faith, Abel, we see in the scripture here, offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. The difference between the sacrifice that Abel gave and the sacrifice that Cain gave was two different things. See here, Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. We see that in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. But the difference between their sacrifices wasn't because one gave vegetables and the other one gave uh, an animal as a sacrifice. That is not what the issue was. The difference was that Abel's sacrifice was made by faith. He listened to the word of God and he did what the father said was the right way or the proper way to sacrifice and to worship the father. To worship their Lord. Abel listened and did it. Cain decided to do it his own way. That's the difference that we see even today in people's lives. Doing it God's way, by his word, or coming up with your own religion, your own way that you're comfortable with, that you can um, agree with, that you're willing to do because it's according to your will. Well, we don't live by according to our will. We live according to what? whose will? God's will. you got to get that settled. If you want your faith to grow. If you want to live a life that is pleasing to God. Not only was Cain's vegetable sacrifice unacceptable. Because rather than pointing to the sacrifice, I believe, to the blood of the lamb... It spoke of his own efforts. He relied upon his own, his own efforts, his own abilities, and not offering the sacrifice by faith that God's expectation. How do I know this? Because when you study the scripture, scripture supports scripture. So when you take a look at, this, at the, the details, when he says God testifying of his, his gifts... We have to say that God testifies of his pleasure with Abel's sacrifice by consuming it with the fire from heaven, if you remember the story. God said, that I'm pleased with. Let me show you something that you'll never forget. But then you look at that and say, well, that was just a one kind of occurrence. No, you'll see a pattern. I'll give you the pattern for those note takers, the students here. It happened in the dedication of the tabernacle. If you remember Leviticus 9.24, God clearly communicated how they were to worship and it was through that sacrifice of that, that animal. It continued with the dedication of the temple in 2 Chronicles 7.1. It was also demonstrated by King David, David himself in 1 Chronicles 21.26. 
It was even demonstrated through a prophet by Elijah said in 1 Kings 18.38. So we see this pattern that nothing is new. God is demonstrated and, and, and literally communicated with Adam and Eve. They chose to rebel. Then they have two offsprings, Abel and Cain, and there's a perfect example. 50% went God's way and the other 50% went against God's way. And guess what, what was the consequences? You know, that was not a good thing. But even with that, look what happened to Abel by doing God's will and sacrificing and coming to God exactly the way God asked him to do. What, what happened to his life? His brother killed him. Well, some people have a really big problem with that conversation. Well, if it's God's will, aren't we supposed to be always healthy and wealthy and wise and never have any problems in our life because we come a, become a Christian? No, that's called false teaching, if you're hearing that. Because nowhere in the scripture shows that at all. Matter of fact, we're guaranteed persecution for our faith. And Abel was persecuted to death because of his faith. By his own sibling. So when you're, having, when you're having problems around Christmas time, around that table, by your unbelieving family, welcome to Abel's world. That is what is going to happen when you choose to do it God's way. I didn't say every time, every example, everything. But don't be surprised by your faithfulness in God, how God can use that in your life. We also see here that through it he may be being dead still speaks. Right off in this example of Abel, the writer here to the believing Hebrews reminds us that faith is not necessarily rewarded on earth. Abel wasn't rewarded for his, his faithfulness and, and his faith in God and his sacrifice, a proper sacrifice. God. He didn't get rewarded until after he did and after he died. And then we see that we're still talking about him today. That God made sure that he was actually in this chapter, in this, this part of the epistle, to remind us and uh, speaking of his sacrifice that he did rightly in God's eyes. But God himself will testify of the faithful one. See, you don't have to testify of your faithfulness to God. You just live for God, and God is the one that lifts you up and shows people of your faithfulness. And it may never even be noticed while you're faithfully serving God in this life, but God will testify for you in eternity. So God himself testifies to the righteousness of the faithful, in this example, Abel. Abel's blood still speaks to us and reminds us of the value of eternity. Abel represents an example of a man who is a worshiping faith, has a worshiping faith. He is sitting there worshiping God and doing it the way God says for him to do it. He's an example of a righteous man. For you and I. It was an example out of even at chapter 10, verse 38, talks about this, this, this righteousness, this righteous way of living and then being accepted before God based on a superior sacrifice. 
And like Abel, these readers had to be encouraged, uh, these Hebrew believers had to be encouraged by the writer here of the book of Hebrews to encourage them like Abel who walked by faith in a sacrifice to God and worshipped him. He was a worshiping, had a worshipping faith. You and I now under the new covenant have that same thing. So what he's doing is encouraging these readers through this epistle. It's showing that acceptance before God on the basis of the superior sacrifice of the new covenant. Which is who? Jesus Christ and his blood being sacrificed. So why would you go back to Judaism? Why would you go back to religion? Why would you go back to the old life? Stay the course. Stay focused on your Lord and Savior. That is the perfect superior sacrifice. Don't go back. And Abel speaks to us today as the very first martyr of the faith. Did you know that? He's the very first martyr for his faith, is able because of his obedience to the word of God. Now we take a look at verses 5 and 6. We see this second example, Enoch's faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Hello. Make a note of that one. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. We see the second example of a testimony, a witness from people's lives who are faithful to God in his promises. To his word. We see Enoch was such a faithful man in who God is and walked with him. He is a perfect example of a man walking in faith. Abel is a, a worshiping faith. Enoch is a walking faith. And we see that Enoch is one of the mystery men of the Old Testament. He's noted in Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Here's a man who's walking with God, and then he's no longer walking with God. Why? Because God took him. Enoch is the example for you and I in the Old Testament of an event that will take place for the church called the rapture. Are you hearing me? Enoch is exactly what will happen when God comes back for the bride, the church, in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be walking by faith with God, and the next minute we're in his presence. Woo! That's my prayer. I hope it's your prayer. I hope it's your desire that as you're walking and serving God and loving God and worshiping God, but walking with God by faith, you're in his presence in the twinkling of an eye. Oh, how beautiful that will be. See, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, you'll notice that Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. 
So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And you and I have a problem walking one day with God. This man walked for 365 years with the Lord. Do you think it's impossible for you and I to walk this lifetime? which right now is on the average probably around 70 years of age? Do you not think the same God who walked with Enoch can't walk with you and I? No, 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 no. It's a guarantee because the scriptures tell me so. That you can have that same faith in the same God and have the same kind of walk that Enoch had and have the promise that he may come and take us out in the twinkling of an eye. It's all together or individually, he's coming back for you to take you home. Do you believe that, my brothers and sisters? Do you have that faith and belief, that that promise in the word of God? Do you have that settled in your heart? Oh, I hope you do. Because that's what brings the peace and the joy in your life. Because you have a surrendered life to Christ. You're walking by faith. We also see Enoch noted one more time that most people don't realize that Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. It's just seven generations. We see that in Jude. Jude 14 and 15. Recognize him as a prophet. And he was the seventh generation. So here's someone knowing real time what God was like. But by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. See, the writer of the Hebrews brings this as an example to the writers then and to you and I today, assuming that only a man of faith can enjoy close communion with God. That everyone who walks by faith can have a close communion, a relationship with God. And again, the, keep it real simple because the kids get it in the kids' classrooms. Kids get it. I know some of you adults don't get it, but the kids get it. That you can literally have a relationship with God and a close one. You don't have to complicate things. The only difference is, is they're, not, they don't, they're not grabbing a hold of the cares of the world like you are as an adult. They have no care in the world. They just hold on to mom and dad when they don't, you know, when they don't see them. But it's a faith. They trust a simplicity. Can we not go to that level of just stop caring so much about the things of this world and for your own life? And just live for God by faith? But the writer here says... You can have this close relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Why would you go and put your faith in a religion or some, some organization and some system or yourself and creating your own quasi-religious thing because you've, you've read on this religion and this religion and this religion and you kind of cherry-pick what you think and like and create your own little God thing. 
You're a confused thing if you're doing that. I assure you, I've never met anyone who's out there picking from different religions and say, I am completely in my right mind and I'm walking so closely with God. No, they're usually very confused. But come to the one who gave his life to you. Come to the one who shed his blood for you. The one who says in his word and promises, and no other Buddha or any other religious leader said they were coming back for you. None. There's no higher power out there, King. I'm coming back for you because I love you. Only Jesus Christ said he's coming back for you because he loves you. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, then you'll be just like Enoch and you will walk in faith. If you do, you will, you will worship God in faith. Because here in, in Enoch, when you see this, you watch and you look and you see the, the history of there, even the, when he says in the, in the verse here, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Isn't that a sweet saying right there? The, a, an indication that you're walking by faith is you please God. We see in John 6, the people were amazed how Jesus crossed the Galilee without a boat. Did you? Jesus was over there. How did he get on the other side of Galilee? And I know which boats are here and who, what the boat the disciples use and everyone else. How did Jesus get to the other side? You know the story, right? He walked on water. And as he was going across the Galilee, he said, <laughs> he had to tell his inner circle there, the, the, the dudes there, hey, don't be afraid. And he said, oh yes, please come in the boat, get in the boat. And he finished the journey. But the rest of the people didn't understand that. But we see in John 6, verse uh, uh, 28 and 29, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? How can we have and get what he, he does? What does Jesus respond? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. You want the work of God in your life? Then you must believe in the one that the heavenly father sent. And the Heavenly Father only sent who? Hello? Jesus Christ. You want the work of faith? You want the work of God working in through your life and do the things that God wants to do through your life? Then you must live for Him and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your faith. How do we please the Father? How do you please your Heavenly Father? That might be a big question for you this morning. Simply, you believe on the Son. You mean I don't have to go to church? Oh, I'd like you coming to the church, so don't justify not coming to the church. But no, you don't have to go to church. But if you want to build up your faith and hear the word of God, you should come to church. You mean I don't have to do anything? No, you just have to believe in the Son for your salvation. And the work on the cross that he did for you. 
Our faith in God grows as we fellowship with God. You hear the word, you watch it demonstrated and played out in the people's lives of the people you're fellowshipping with, that God dwells within. That is how your faith is built up. But if you isolate yourself and you separate yourself from the God's people and you don't listen and hear the word of God and you don't see it demonstrated and played out, your faith will so dwindle away you'll be empty, confused. And you might actually just drift away to a point of no return. That you'll never experience the work of God through your life. We've learned it early on, right? We, we, in, the, in the language, it was called a wasted life. Remember that, talking about that a few last few Sundays? You will have a Christian life but it'll be wasted life because you're not willing to live by faith. But notice in verse 6 here for Enoch's faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. That he is what? That he is God. And that he is a re- what? A rewarder. He gives of those who diligently seek him. This right here, if you do one of those things that some of us do and you put a little P by where it says a promise of God in your Bible, I would recommend you do a little circle and put a P right there. Because look at this. For without faith, it's what? It's possible? It's a maybe? It's a a strong yes, maybe? I, I think it will happen? I, 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 like the little train, I, we, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can moment. No, no, no. The scripture is very clear. Look at the words. But without faith, it is impossible to please your heavenly father. Do I need to say it again? Do you desire to please God? You can only do that, I can only do that if we live by faith. It's impossible to please him by doing it your own way. It's impossible. Impossible means what? Impossible. For he who comes to God must believe that he is that term he is is so loaded i could i could teach for a couple of hours on just he is do you understand that because there's so much scripture alone on he is the character of god of who he is the promises that are resting because of he is Jesus even said, I am who I am. Are you with me? Did he have to define it any more than that? He just looked at them and said, I am who I am. I don't have to debate you at all about this. I don't have to try to convince you about this. And I don't have to do any tricks and experiences and all kinds of smoke and mirrors to get you to move emotionally to believe who I am. 
He doesn't have a problem, do you know that, with identity. <laughs> his identity is as firm as complete, can, can be. You and I have the identity problem. If you're, if you're a non-believer, you're completely lost and in darkness. How do I know that? Because I used to be that way, plus the scripture tells me so. If you are a believer, then you're in the light and you now can see. I now am a believer, I'm in the light, and I know what the scripture says. You cannot debate with me about what God has done in my life. I don't entertain you to debate with me about what God's done in my life. Because I know what God's done in my life. The question is, are you so solid in your relationship with God this today that you are, you're no longer debating in your own head if you're saved or not? That you're a child of God or not? That you really do believe by faith who Jesus is, that he is God? Have you got there yet? If you're not, I want to encourage you to keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Because eventually you're going to hear the word of God so clearly talking to you specifically. It will be so settled in your life for the rest of eternity of who he is and how he has moved you into the position as a child of his. And no one touches your life unless it's father filtered first. Because it is abiding love for you. See, Abel had that faith. Enoch had such a deep faith that God said, I'd rather you be with me now in heaven than dwelling you any longer on this earth. Because he lived a life with complete surrendered to God himself. And notice this, not only that must God that uh, we must come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that's the second part of the promise here these are these are the two key simple keys to faith right here you want to know how you have a deeper faith these are the two keys that the writer gives to these hebrew believers and gives god gives it to us today you and i must believe that he is and if you believe who he is, you also must believe that he is a rewarder to those who do believe. The writer of the Hebrews doesn't say that it is difficult to please God without faith. He says it's absolutely impossible to please God without faith. And then he says these two things, these two amazing things, that these two keys to life is so simple. It's grieving. And it's grieving because many professing Christians act as if God were not living. I'm a Christian, but they act like God does not live and reign and see all things and knows all things and all powerful and all present. You, they live their life they, as a Christian, they say, and they live a life like God doesn't see nothing. Or doesn't care. Or he's too busy for you. You, if that's speaking to you, 
you don't have the faith in who God is. So the key to get your life turned around, believe that he is. He's alive, he is present, and he absolutely has an eye on you. There is no question, my brother. There is no question, my sister, about that. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. God has shown me personally so. And he will reveal it to you if he has not revealed himself to you. Open your eyes. Open your ears. And let him reveal himself to you. Tell me about the experience later when you have it happen. But the second thing is for you and I to live by faith. Notice the other key. The writer says that we must have this expectation because most Christians will not, not only will they not believe that God is living, but how many Christians through seeking after him are not expecting God, their heavenly father, to reward them. To bless them. That it's some drudgery to be a Christian. That there's no, there's no benefit to say. But you see, I'm, I'm here to tell you. The scripture is very clear. That when you live by faith. Because you believe who he is in your life. He is going to work in and through your life in a way that will be such a rewarder to your life, blessing to your life that you can't even imagine. And it will be different for everybody. And so when we see here, throughout history, the common denominator in the lives of those who have been blessed is that they all bend those who realize God enjoys our company. When you get to a point in your relationship with God that God, you realize and you believe that God literally likes spending time with you. That he wakes you up in the morning and the first thing he's doing, he's looking over at that bed and even though in your, your whatever state you are waking up in the morning, he, he's literally going, okay, focus on me. As the, scripture, as the scripture says, diligently seek me here. As you're waking up, diligently seek me. I'm ready for you. I'm ready to talk to you. I'm ready to commune with you. I'm ready to help bless you. I'm ready to pick you up and carry you through into that shower because you have no strength at this point in time. And I've given you a job and I've given you and provided for you. You've got to go do these things. I've called you today. Is that what you wake up to be every morning? Do you wake up diligently looking to seek after your heavenly father about what he has for you that day? He just woke you up. Trust me. I know his parents. God, can you speak to my, my teenagers a little bit more about waking them up? Because they're not getting up. Just pray for them. Pray for those teenagers. Pray for your spouse. I know, guys, it's hard to get your wife up in the morning. <laughs> I know, I just told a lie. We must have both the desire to please him and the diligence to seek him. You and I must both have the desire to please God and the diligence 
to seek after God. That is a man and woman of faith. Prayer, meditating on His Word, worship, sacrifice, doing good works, all of these help us in our walk with God. If you remember Enoch, walked with God in the most wicked world of our day just before the flood. See, people forget this. Because sometimes it helps you justify, oh, it's so difficult to walk in this, this faith in our life because this world is so wicked and all oh, oh, technology and blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. Enoch walked in the most wicked world. So wicked that God was sorry that he even created the man. He had to wipe out the entire existence of man, except for who? Noah and his family. They were the only ones that had faith in the entire world. Think about that. Ponder on that a little bit. And you sit there and say, I have no Christians around me. Oh, it's so hard and no neighbor. I have no one to fellowship with because no one's Christians. Oh, think about the think about Noah. You're not alone. God knows these things. He will meet at your every need. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Enoch was taken to heaven one day and was seen no more. Abel died a violent death, but Enoch never died. God had a plan for each one who trusted in him, and it's always different. You can never compare of what God's doing and not doing in people's lives. But we understand that Enoch is a picture of the rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it's taken out before God's judgment, the flood on the world. We will be taken out before God's judgment of the seven day tribulation. But Enoch had a walking faith. And lastly, in verse 7, we see one more man Noah's faith. By faith, Noah being divinely warned. Oh, God, divinely warning us. He warned this man. Of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, a lot of people know the story of Noah and the ark. But you don't hear it, the fact that he was chosen by God because of one reason. He's the only one who had the tools? No. Is he the only one that had the experience to be able to do this building construction project? Nope. Because he was the only one that had the man to have faith to do something that has never been seen before. Isn't that incredible when you think about that? Out of all the world, he was the only one that had faith to be able to do something that God was going to ask him to do 
that has never been seen done before. Think about that. Noah was warned of something that had never happened before, but his faith in God and what God's word was telling him, it was not merely some agreement of, of the flood. Oh, oh, the flood coming. Oh, really? That's, that's, not, that's terrible. He didn't even know what a flood was. At that point in time, there was probably never been a rainstorm that happened on this land, remember. Yes, mist came up and watered the lands, and it was beautiful, and absolute ecosystem was perfect. But when you have God say to you, oh, by the way, I'm going to have you build a thing called the ark of this size and this magnitude to be able to take on two of every kind of animal and those of rooms built for your household, that they weren't even saved. Building some big abstrosity, it took him a hundred years of building this thing. You can't even faithfully do something for a week. He built it for a hundred years, purely on a promise that God said this was going to happen, even though he had no concept of what it meant. Because it had never seen it before. Never experienced it before. Never been there, done that before. Didn't have the t-shirt. Think about that. That's what faith is. That's what God calls us to do sometimes, is to not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And in this case, he called Noah to build a large vessel to fit two of every kind of animal that God was going to miraculously bring to this vessel. And if somehow water was going to come from everywhere and just completely flood out the place, what does that mean? How, what does it mean to rain? What do you mean water is coming from everywhere? I don't know what details God even showed him how that was going to happen. He built it anyway. But think of the, if you really, your mind will start going, well, what did other people think? Oh, can you imagine? No, what you do? What are you, what are you and your boys doing? Building an ark. What's an ark? I don't know. It's just a big thing. It's going to hold a lot of animals, and whoever else who who wants to come in can come in. How long is it going to build? How how big is this thing going to be? I, God said this long, and this high, and this wide, and this what? Exact. I'm just doing exactly what God told me to do. That's ridiculous. Where are you going to get the resources? Where are you going to get the money? Where are you going to get the time, the skill, and the abilities? Bum, 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 All those pluses, minuses, let's weigh the pluses and minuses, and let's do the checklist, and let's figure out, and all that. He didn't have any of that. He just was obedient as God led him, and he built it a hundred years with a promise that God said he was going to judge the world and he was willing to do whatever it took to save his family. Men, are you willing to do whatever it takes to save your family?
family. Are you? Are you? I hope so. Because when you take a look at the scripture and you see him preparing this real faith of absolutely a working faith. This wasn't just hearing it and, oh, yeah, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. But someone else can do it. No, no. God was calling him to do it. And he had to have a working faith. He had to have a faith that you do. You're not going to be just, like James talks about it all the time, not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. You have to have action. You have to follow through with the actions of your belief in who God is. Do you believe who he is? Do you believe he's going to reward you for being obedient and doing what he's called you to do? If you are, you're going to have a working faith like Noah here. And as he, 20 years before Noah's even had his first child, he already believed what God told him. He was going to build this ark to save his household. He didn't have a child. It wasn't until 20 years later. <laughs> I kind of chuckle when I read that and go, if I was Noah and said, oh my goodness, i got to start having kids. I hope I have a lot of guys, big, heavy guys, big guys to help me build this thing. But God provides. Because remember, it appears no one else had the faith to be there or they would have been on the ark. But he started planning and building and he built it for a hundred years. And who, how many people were getting on this ark? It ended up being only eight people. Just his family watched the father through the demonstration of working by faith to do obedient to what God's called him to do, changed his family to come to Christ. You see how important fathers are? in the lives of their children. He had this set, this faith in God and the promise of God that if he does this, it will save his household. My sons and their wives are going to be saved. I'm providing a place for their salvation an environment that will help them. May every parent hear God's word and by faith pick up that hammer. Pick up those instructions that he gives you, the word of God, and get to work, men. Get to work. Regardless of how you feel. Because it pleases God. Remember, since nobody at that time had ever seen a flood or even a rainstorm, Noah's actions must have been just absolutely tested beyond our understanding. Working day after day on something you didn't know what was going to fully understand how that was going to play out. And all the ridicule, all the whispers, all the, the, the doubters, and all the naysayers, 
that will come against you in your life, in Noah's life, to try to sway him from doing what God's called him to do. It happens still today. But he knew. God said he's going to condemn the world. It's not like a man knows a man who was out there just preaching sermons on the condemnation and the judgment of the world upon them. Instead, he was doing and working by faith what God had doing, was calling him to do it. And through the form of him just being obedient to what God called him to do, it became its own methodology or own way of preaching without even speaking a word. People saw the faith he had in God. And that's what led them. Obviously, we didn't see the result of people being saved and some evangelism going on. But this ark reminded the world every day who saw it, they were being condemned. Because they chose not to, by faith, to follow what Noah was doing. Noah's faith revealed their unbelief. And that happens today. Your faith in God and how you live makes other people very uncomfortable because it reveals their unbelief. Keep living for God. Keep moving forward. And watch the Holy Spirit draw them to God in such a wonderful and beautiful way. See, Jesus used this experience to warn people to be ready for his return, Matthew 24. Jesus said in Noah's day, the people were involved in innocent, everyday activities and completely ignored Noah's witness. We see that in 2 Peter 2.5. That God used this man's faith, a walking faith, a demonstration of doing something so hard, so difficult, such a long-term way of living, that Jesus himself, the Savior of the world, used his example that said, this was right, this was good, and this is what I want you to do. Why? Because it's a picture of bringing salvation. It's a picture of bringing about of a focus on God and the fact that, yes, in the days when this is going to happen, when God comes back for the bride, like Enoch, people are going to be just having a normal life, marrying and having kids and partying and just living life and just living in the cares of this world and just having a building their own little castles and their own little fun things and entertainments it'll be like no big deal because they're having fun when you see these things along with lawlessness and things that are right used to be are now wrong and wrong that used to be right that God's word was true. Now people are out there teaching in the form of some religious leader that the word of God isn't true. When you see these things, look up. You know why? Jesus draws near. He's coming back for us. Do you believe?